Let me get this started. Um, tonight, I wanted to talk about abandonment issues. Um, um, this is something that I've dealt with a lot. Um, you know, we've all been abandoned. It's really part of being a human being. If you're a human being, you've been abandoned by somebody. Um, you know, we've been abandoned by parents, friends, loved ones, spouses. You know, remember when you're growing up in school and you had friends and you're like, we'll always be best friends forever. And then, you know, some of those people you don't even know anymore, you know, and stuff. And, um, you know, we've, we've had close friends that, you know, have, have left us over doctrinal disputes or, you know, whatever. There's, there's a multitude of reasons why you lose friends sometimes. Sometimes you just get into an argument over something and you're not able to reconcile and, and the friendship dies, you know, or whatever and stuff. And so we've all dealt with abandonment issues. We've all been wounded. We've all been hurt and stuff. And, um, you know, I'm thinking about Jesus. He, Jesus said, I didn't come to heal the, the, the well. Jesus said, I came for the sick, you know, and so when we come to him, we come to him with our issues, we come to him with our, our baggage, we come to him with our pain and our sorrows, and what he does is he sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts, and he begins a process of healing and restoration of the things, that, and a lot of the things that we did, we brought on ourselves, a lot of the damage that we have inside of ourselves is stuff that we've done through our own, whether it's sin or, or the choices that we've made or what have you and stuff. And, and, uh, but again, when, when we come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into us and he begins a process of dealing with those things. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with us. And a lot of times what happens is because we've been wounded, because we've been abandoned or whatever, we tend to self-protect, right? And we tend to, uh, to kind of hide into a corner and, and uh, find a dark place that no one else knows about and stuff. And, uh, you know, that carries over spiritually too. Right. And so we have to come to a place in God where we begin to trust him, because a lot of us look at God as the same way that we look at our parents. I don't know about you, but my parents weren't the best, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, my dad was a truck driver, you know, and he was he was never home. And um, and, and basically my story, when when I was four years old, I don't re I don't have any recollection recollection as a child of my dad being with us. Uh, my earliest recollections were just me, my brother, and my mom. And uh, uh, we lived in Morton, Texas, and my mom worked at a nursing nursing home, and she was just barely getting by. Uh, my mom was my mom was born in Japan, and so she came over here, and she wasn't she wasn't able to speak the language, right? And so it made it really, really hard for her, and it was hard for her, and she was trying to raise two children on her own. And, uh, and so she really had no options. And there's a place, uh, north of Amarillo called Boys Ranch. And when I was four years old, my brother was five years old. My mom, uh, took us there and dropped us off essentially. And we lived there for about, uh, I lived there from when I was four years old to when I was 12. And I remember the first night I was there. I mean, I just, as a little kid, I just bawled all night long. Because, you know, my mom had talked to us about it and she was uh, like asking us, do you want to go to a ranch? And, you know, as a kid, you're like, a ranch? That sounds awesome. Yeah, you know, I want to go. And But we had no idea that she was going to go and she was going to leave us there and she was going to drive away. And, you know, that was going to be it. 
Um, now we did, we, she did come and visit us on, on, uh, you know, holidays and things like that. But, but again, so, uh, when, when we were 12 years old, when I was 12 years old, my dad finally got us out. But like I said, even when he got us out, I mean, he's, he's a big, tough ex-Marine, you know, and stuff. And he, he doesn't talk, he doesn't share his emotions or his feelings and stuff. And like I say, he was a truck driver, so he was gone all the time anyway. And so... So essentially, I've, uh, you know, even after I became a Christian, I had a lot of abandonment issues. And uh, a lot of my Christian life, I've looked at God through the lens of, of my family situation. I've looked at God as I looked at my dad, who was never there, right? And that's what we kind of do. We are, and that's why it's so important for Christian parents, Christian families, to reflect God. Because as a father, it's important for me to show my children, hey, God is a God who's full of love. He's a God who's full of acceptance. He's a God that loves you no matter what you're going through. And he's going to be there for you. And he's not just going to be here and, and gone today, you know, or gone the next day. So, Again, most of us have been uh, deeply hurt, even crushed, you know, by these feelings. Um, a lot of us, so there's, someone's eating chips. A lot of us, uh, our feelings of abandonment have, have kept us holding on, to pa holding on to the past, afraid to let go. Uh, fear has become our norm. And that's what fear does and stuff. And that's what abandonment does is it becomes... Um, it, it puts you in a place where this becomes your norm. And part of that is healthy. Part of that is from God. Um, God has given us the, the ability to, to isolate things. And I know that, you know, as a kid, I felt abandoned by, you know, um, parents and things like that. And even like the, the uh, place that we were called is called Boys Ranch. Um, there were probably 20 people in the dorm and there was one dorm parent and and uh, our dorm parent was um, abusive. basically abusive. I mean, he he was six foot four. He was an ex baseball player, and I mean, he would he would whip you for anything. And um, I've told this story before, but but he would sew pennies into his belt, uh, so you know, so that when he whipped you, it would it would make it even worse and and things. And and so again, uh, but I learned that at that age. You know, it, it was a Christian organization, so they made us go to church. And so I, I went to church and I read my Bible and I had a relationship with Jesus. And it was that relationship with Jesus that was able to carry me through. And it was that that it, it was that relationship with Jesus that gave me hope and gave me the strength to to go through that and stuff. And, and so God is with us even in those situations. But a lot of times we still carry scars, right? Even, even you know, when God walks with us, when God is with us in certain situations, you, a lot of times we can't help but being affected by it and stuff. And so, again, uh, it's... Um, um, a lot of us, uh, a lot of us fear becomes our norm. That's what we operate in. We learn to be, uh, uh, we learn to operate out of fear and not faith, not trust. Uh, and fear actually becomes an idol to us. You know what I'm saying? Fear kind of become can become a comfort zone. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get free from that. Uh, it's easy to become, become untrusting, to self-protect, to self-medicate because we feel that, you know, no one else is there for us and we feel that like no one cares about us and stuff. And so like, 
we we turn to all manner of things. We turn to like TV, internet, porn, drugs, sports, beauty, all kind. There's multitudes of things that we turn to to self-medicate, right? Um, abandonment feels makes us feel like uh, God is against us. It makes us feel like everything's against us. Uh, I noticed uh, one time when I was working that like every time something would happen, I would just get into this, why me? Why does this always happen to me, right? And, and the thing is, is in that moment, God spoke to me and says, you have issues that you need to work through. Because, uh, you know, we live in a world that's not perfect. We're, we, we, we live in a world where things aren't going to go right. There's so many things that go wrong for us. I remember I got this job once and the very first day on this job, I was late like an hour to work because it was in Colorado and there was a blizzard and stuff. And I'm like driving to work. And this whole time I'm like, God, why would you allow this to happen? Right. And that's the thing is in your heart, you're still blaming God for it. And you're still like, God, why are you doing this to me? Life happens, right? And that is something that we as believers need to learn is that life happens. Life is going to happen. Life is not going. There's, it doesn't matter how holy you are. It doesn't matter how close you are to God. You're going to have bad, di- bad days. Um, you're going to have people that in your workplace that don't like you. Uh, Jesus said, if, if people hated me, they're going to hate you too, right? And sometimes people hate us for no other reason than we're not gossipers, right? For no other reason than we don't hate the other people that we work at, with, right? Because people can sometimes be convicted when they're around us, right? If you're trying to live holy, if you're trying to re- live righteous, if you're trying to live in a, a life that's pleasing to the Lord... A lot of times the unbelievers around you would think that you're self-righteous or goody two-shoes or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And they will be convicted and they will hate you for that and stuff. And so, again, this is the world that we live in. And, and again, when, when you're in those situations, Satan's whispering at you the whole time, you know, God hates you. If God didn't hate you, he would make it all perfect for you. And again, there are so many churches that you can go to today that say, well, if, if God loves you, he's going to make you rich, right? Or if God loves you, you're never going to be sick. Or if God loves you, he's going to bless you with everything your heart desires and all this kind of stuff. And it's a lie. You know, and they make it seem, and they make it seem that well, if you get sick, and, and honestly, a lot of it are, are seeker-friendly churches that are people that are trying to build these mega churches and stuff, and um, they get paid well, you know. And I'm not saying that that's always their motives or anything like that, but the simple fact of the matter is, as as a teacher, I believe that we need to teach the truth, right? And that's the Bible. You read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. People have troubles. Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulations, right? And so to sit there from the pulpit and teach people like, well, if you come to Jesus, all your pain's going to be gone, all your problems, all your struggles, and it's going to be all wiped away. And and God's going to heal you. He's going to deliver you. He's going to set you you free in an instant. He's going to make you rich. He's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, and all this kind of stuff, you know? It don't always happen that way. Sometimes God does miraculous things on the spot. The heavens opens, you know, and boom, a miracle, and God just rains blessing and stuff. But you know what? That is actually the exception rather than the norm. 
God, what God's whole thing for us is he wants to bring us to a place of maturity because when we're unsaved, we're immature. We're living like babies. We're living like children, me, myself, what I want, what I desire and stuff like that. And so when we become Christians, God begins this process again, not only of just healing our, 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 yes. our, our wounds and things like that, but a process of maturing us. And helping us to walk through life's toughest situations. And no matter what happens to us, I will not only prevail, but I will overcome. And see, this is the thing. This is why Paul and the early, the apostles, they couldn't be silenced. Even with death, even with torture and things like that. You could not silence them and you could not make them uh, not, rejoice. not rejoice. They were always rejoicing and they were always filled with uh, praise and gratitude because they knew that all these things are temporary mm -hmm. and all these things are minor, minor, minor things in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. So, yeah. So again, um, go ahead and uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Um, some of the other things uh, while you're turning there, some of the other things that uh, abandonment issues do is, uh, again, we see God as uh, like we see our parents. Uh, we think like, like some of us think like, well, God's just going to, when things go wrong, when things are hard, God's just going to leave me. He's not going to be there. You know, my, my dad left when things were hard or my mom left when, when things were hard and stuff like that. Um, and because we, we self-isolate, we're left with feelings of loneliness. No, again, no one understands. No one's there for us. No one cares. Um, sometimes it causes us to act out to get attention. I remember when I was in school, I was a class clown. And, I, and even though I was really shy, if there was an opportunity for me to act like an idiot and get people to laugh at me, I would do that and stuff. And again, it was just from my insecurities and it was trying to get people to like me and things. Um, uh, also, it, it tries one, one of the things that uh, it can do is cause us to be super pleasers, right? We try to win people's favor. We do, we do whatever it takes to win people over. Sometimes even losing our own per personalities, not having an opinion of our own, not speaking up when we should. Um, Man-pleasing, man-fearing, they're both the same root cause. It's because we're trying to please people because we feel that somehow we're inadequate and that somehow we have to do something to win people over because maybe we weren't able to win over our parents or, or something like that and stuff. Um, again, turn to Genesis chapter 37. And that's why you see a lot of people in ministry burn out because again, they are working so hard to please people. I know people in ministry that are working day and night to try to, to try to please people and stuff. And, and you know, one thing that we learned from doing ministry a long time ago is that you're not always going to please people. Um, I, I have seen situations like like when we when we had a church, there there were people that would tell they would they would praise us because like we would we would preach longer than an hour sometimes, right? And they liked that. They enjoyed that there weren't limitations on the time and things like that. And there would be these other groups of people who hated it because they wanted to get out and go watch the football game or something like that. Um, again, uh, some people like chairs soft and comfortable. Some like them hard. You know what I'm saying? Human beings, are, there's always going to be somebody that's upset. 
And if you're doing what God has called you to do, people are going to be upset with you and stuff. And and the thing is, is again, we as uh, human beings, and especially as believers, now God wants us to love everyone, right? He wants us to express that love to everyone, and He wants us to... Um, he wants us to be accepting of everyone, but at the same time, um, we're not supposed to bend over backwards to please them, right? And one thing that we don't do is we don't water down his word. If God says something is sin, if God says something is wrong, I can't say, well, you know, uh, but it's, it, you know, it's okay, right? If God says it's wrong, then it's wrong. If God says something right, then it's right. Because the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So God's word is above everything else. And in uh, Genesis chapter 37, we want to talk about Joseph a little bit. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father, in verse 1, where his father has sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them, about his brothers, to their father. Look at this in verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. And there's, there's something in that, in that, in the same way that Jacob loved Joseph, God loves us. And we need to begin to change our mindset and to change our understanding to realize that we, not just corporately, not just the church as a whole, but me and you individually, God loves us, right? In the same way that God, uh, that Jacob loved Joseph, God loves each one of us because he has accepted us. He has received us to himself. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. And so you all know the story. Joseph has two dreams and his brothers are bowing down to him in the dreams and stuff like that. So in verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him, and then let us see what will become of his dreams. Now think of that. Think of like if your brothers actually wanted to put you to death, right? I mean, <laughs> and in verse 21, but Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. And so you guys, again, you know the story. They take Joseph, they throw him into a pit. Um, they roll his they roll his cloak into blood and give it to his father and say he's been killed by a wild animal and they sell him right and so um, in in verse um, look at chapter thirty or no wait look at uh, so verse thirty one says so they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Examine it and see whether it's your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins, and he mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to the grave in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. 
So what we see here is two instances of abandonment. Now, Joseph is abandoned by his brothers. His brothers take him and sell him into slavery. And I mean, <laughs> that would make anyone feel abandoned, right? But again, you know, all of us have experienced issues, maybe to not to that degree, right? But we've all been abandoned by people that we love. We've all been betrayed by people that we've trusted. We've all been uh, betrayed by people that we, that we felt would never do that to us, right? And so that's the case here with Joseph. And I feel like Jacob had the same thing. I feel like Jacob felt like he was abandoned by God. And you know how he's talking about how he, he, he's like, uh, I'm going to go down to the grave with this and stuff. And you read later in the story, he's still in that same place. Uh, go to Genesis chapter 39. And so essentially we're looking at two cases of abandonment and how these two people deal with it. Because again, as human beings, you will get, you will be abandoned by people. You will be betrayed by people that you love. Um, sometimes justly, some, a lot of times uh, not justly and things. And it all comes down to how you deal with it, right? And in Genesis 39, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant and he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. So the thing about Joseph is, is he's not sulking, right? He's not feeling sorry for himself. He's not saying, he's not cursing God. He's not like just going in a corner and saying, well, if that's the way it's going to be, then forget God. I'm just going to, I'm just going to have pity for myself and, and live off in this corner by myself and not care about anyone else. Right? Because that's what self-pity does, right? It makes us focus on ourselves, and we don't care about anyone else. And so if you read behind the lines of this story, Joseph is someone who still has faith in God. God had given him dreams. God had said all these things that he was going to be with him, and Joseph believed them. And that's the thing. It comes down to a matter of faith, right? And, and do we have the faith to believe in God no matter what the circumstances? And we're going to see a little bit later that Jacob did not have that same kind of faith. But again, Joseph had to have a kind of a faith that's unstoppable, right? It's like Paul. When Paul was thrown in prison, what did Paul do? Did he start sulking? No, it says that he and Silas praised and worshiped the Lord until midnight, right? Again, another case is, is uh, John. John, when John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, he could have felt sorry for himself. He could have licked his wounds and said, God, why are you treating me this bad? Why did you send me to this island to be in exile? Well, from the island of Patmos, he wrote the book of Revelation. Right? I mean, uh, <laughs> so something that he wrote in that place of exile, we still can't understand it even to this day. And so the the... 
the point is this, is that it doesn't matter what situation that we're in. If our attitude stays right, if our faith stays strong, God will use us even in these circumstances, right? And so again, it comes down to, to how we view this. Is this something that, and remember Job, when, when Job, when all these bad things happened to Job, um, he started he started blaming God. God is doing all these things to me, right? And we saw if again, if you look in the first chapter of Job, it says that Satan was doing these things to Job. But out of all these things, God brought something good out of it. And that's the whole thing. And that's why we have to get a handle on this sort of thing and why why God dealt with me and said, you know what? You have to get a handle on these abandonment issues because I can't use you when you're like that, right? If I'm feeling sorry for myself, God can't use me to help other people. But the beauty about it is, is no matter what circumstance we go through, no matter how bad it is, how dark it is, if my attitude is good, if my faith is strong, at some point, God is going to use my situation to help somebody else. Amen. Does that make sense? Amen. So, turn to where Jacob is. Turn to chapter 42. We're going to look at Jacob. So again, not only was Joseph like that in Potiphar's house, you know the whole story. Joseph was in prison for 22 years. Uh, he served faithfully. Um, when when uh, when um, when Pharaoh sent the baker and the other guy to, to the dungeons, uh, Joseph had a dream for him. He said, when you go to Pharaoh, remember me. Well, they went to Pharaoh and they forgot all about him. And so Joseph was in prison for a lot for for longer. And again, this whole time he could have said, "God, why are you doing this to me?" God has I don't know about you, but there have been so many times in my life when times were bad, when things were hard, I'm like, "God, why have you left me? Where are you at?" And you pray and you have no faith and you have no um you have no gratitude and you have no you know, it's almost like God's dead, right? And the thing is, is God is, God is especially there when the times are darkest, when the times are the hardest, when the flames are the hottest, God is there in the midst of that. But it takes faith to see that. And that's a time when, and these times are the times when we grow the strongest, when things are the worst, when things are the hardest, when things are the most difficult. If I trust God at this time, then it's just going to make you so much more stronger and stuff. But most of us are like the people of, of the Israelites in the wilderness. They wandered around for 40 years and everything that they came to, they grumbled and complained. And, and they blamed God for it. And again, as a young believer, I was that same way. I, everything that happened bad because I expected things to be great now and I, I expected things to be wonderful. And when they weren't, I'm like, God, why is this happening? Why, why are you not making all these things better and stuff? And again, God is so much more concerned in, in growing us because the thing is, is we are representatives of him, right? If I'm in my workplace and everything that goes wrong, I'm like, you know, I start cussing or, I, or I'm all mad and yelling at my workmates or treating them bad and stuff like that. It's a reflection on Jesus because we are ambassadors of Christ. Does that make sense? In uh, Genesis chapter, what was it? 40, 42, verse 1. 
This is, we're going to look at Jacob. It says, Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? Behold, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go there and buy some for us that, uh, from that place so that we may live and not die. So there's a famine in Israel, and, and Joseph had already stockpiled all kinds of grain and stuff. And so Jacob sends his brothers to, to Joseph, which they didn't know it was Joseph at the time and stuff and so they come to joseph and joseph says look the only way that that i'm going to give you guys grain is if you bring your younger brother and um let's see where is it at yeah i lost the place okay so in verse 29 so joseph says go back to your father and bring your youngest brother with you and in verse 29 it says when they came to the father jacob in the land of canaan they told him all that had happened to them saying the man the lord of the land spoke harshly with us and took us for spies of the country but we said we're honest men and not spies and they tell him all the story and they tell their father that he's supposed to bring their youngest son and their father Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and you would take Benjamin. Benjamin was his youngest son. All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to him, back to you. Put him in my care, and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to, to the grave in sorrow. So again, Jacob, whereas Joseph is operating in faith, Joseph is, is positive, knows that the Lord's going to deliver him, knows that the Lord's going to be with him, no matter what the circumstance, Jacob is filled with fear, right? He doesn't want to try. And that's the problem with us is when we get into this place, we don't want to try, right? We don't want to step out of our comfort zone. We don't want to, we don't want to risk. And the beauty of Christianity is God loves those who take risks. And God is always saying to his people, jump. And if you jump, I will catch you. It's the same thing when, when Jesus was walking on the waves, right? And, you know, in, in the movies, you see the waves and it's almost like a swimming pool and it's all calm and stuff like that. But it says that the boat was being rocked. And so there was a storm that was going on. I mean, the waves were, were huge and ferocious and the winds were blowing and stuff. And it's in that situation where Jesus called Peter to walk on the water, mm-hmm. right? Jesus doesn't call us to walk on the water in the swimming pool that's, that's like ice and everything's calm and, and everything's wonderful. Jesus calls us to walk on the water when it's hard and when it's tough. And where do we learn those lessons? We learn those lessons daily when we deal with the things that are, that are, that have, that the issues that I've had since I was a child and the things that are coming against us as waves because we all hear the voice of Satan and Satan comes to us like waves and he, and he attacks us and he attacks us and he's relentless, right? We all know Satan is relentless. He will buffet you and buffet you and buffet you until you break but the thing is is god can strengthen us to the point to where we don't break and that's what we're trying to become and and god is looking for a church of people that aren't 
wilting every time the sun comes out, who aren't stumbling over over molehills and, and who are able to overcome no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation comes against them, right? And Peter started to sink when he looked at the waves. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Peter was doing fine until he looked at the waves. And that's the whole thing. Again, we have to learn to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that is by fixing our eyes on his promises, right? Um, again, for, for so much of my Christian life, I've, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, right? I still deal with these things. But it's a matter of overcoming. Um, it's just like David. When David faced, faced Goliath and they asked him, well, who do you think you are to face Goliath? He says, well, when I was a shepherd, I had to go and get one of the lambs from a lion. And then there was a time when I had to go rescue some lambs from a bear and stuff. And so that's what God does is he takes us through, through, these, through smaller situations because he sees something ahead that he wants us to tackle. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you think about it, it's awesome because it's not, you know, so much of my life, I, I remember when I was a kid, nobody wanted me on their, on their football team because I was the smallest kid there, right? But you know what? When God looks at us, he says, you are exactly what I want. And he sees what he has instilled within us and he sees potential, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing. And a lot of times we don't even see this, the potential that God sees within us, but God sees potential and he sees what we could be. And he wants us to bring us, he wants to bring us to the place of what we could be, right? Because we see what we are, right? And not only that, but we see our failures. And again, we are so often tied to our past tied to our failures, tied to the times that we fell and the times that we, we blew it and the times when we, we, we sinned and things. God sees us in, in our best possible light, which is not to say that he doesn't see us when we're sinning or, thing, or anything like that, right? I'm just talking specifically uh, in his plans and what, and what he believes for us. God, God believes in you when no one else believes in you, yeah. right? And that's something that we can take comfort in because there's a lot of times when I'm at work or there's a lot of times when, when people, you know, when people don't believe in us, when people don't see the good in us or when people uh, take our motives wrong and they, they, they think that, you know, when we're doing something with the best motives that maybe we're doing things with the wrong motives or whatever and stuff. And yet God sees the best of us and God sees what we could be and that's what he's trying to make us. And uh, so turn to Isaiah chapter 59. Because again, God has given us his word to renew our minds. We, we have so filled our, our, our minds with, with the voices of the world, with, with what our workmates tell us, with what our parents told us. If our parents told us you'll never succeed or you'll never be good at anything or, or people around us and things. And, and we've listened to those voices. And it's when we begin to meditate on the word and we, we begin to let his word become. And that's, that's the whole thing about meditating on the word. The whole thing about meditating on his word is not a religious practice. The whole thing about meditating on his word is I'm trying to bring my mind to a place where his word becomes reality to me. 
Right? Because when we first read his the Bible, a lot of times, we're it's like we're reading about someone else. And it's like, this doesn't apply to me. This applies to someone else. This applied to David, or this applies to Moses, or, or to Paul, or John, or something like that. And when we meditate on it, what we do is we, we, we meditate on it to where, to the place to where it actually becomes a part of us and to the place where we actually believe that not only is it true, but it's true for me. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Because again, we read it and we're like, well, that's great for somebody else, but God doesn't really mean that for me. Yes. He means that for me. And again, I need to scrub my mind. I need to wash my mind of the lies and begin to believe what he said. And in Psalm 49, verse 13, it says, Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth in the joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Again, have you ever felt that way? I've definitely felt that way. God doesn't even know I exist right now. It says the Lord, it says in verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Look at this. He says, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Do you see that? And when Jesus hung on the cross, he inscribed us on the palms of his hands. Hmm. And that's us individually. That is not just his church. That's not your pastor. That's not the evangelists that you know. That's not the, the choir directors. That's you and that's me. Mm -hmm. That's us individually. And this is the love that God has for us. It's not some kind of ethereal thing, something that's out there in the air, something that doesn't exist. This is the truth. Turn to Psalm uh, 27. And again, when we begin to read these verses like this and begin to meditate on them and be and sometimes like when I'm meditating, I'll ask God, Lord, make this word true to me. Right. Because it's all a supernatural work. And that's what the job of the Holy Spirit is. That's what the Holy Spirit does within us. But but again, we've got so much filth in our minds. We've got so much garbage. We've got so much blockage and things that we need supernatural help. And so a lot of times when I'm meditating on the word, when I'm meditating on scriptures, I'm sitting there praying, God, make this true to me. Make this a reality in my life. Let this be more than just words on a page, right? Because again, I... How many to, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll get up in the morning to read the Bible and I'm reading it and it's just like, I don't even remember what I just read, right? And it's just words on a page. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes this word come alive. And we need the Holy Spirit. And that's why when you read the Bible, take your time with it, right? Because again, what we do, we fall into this trap of, you know, well, I got to have my 15 minute time with God this morning or whatever. And so we just kind of rush through it. Right. And stuff. And, you know, uh, I, I had this dream last night. It's, it's funny because for, for the last week or so, I've been really, really praying for something. Uh, I, I've been really, uh, basically it's the salvation of my kids, honestly. And I've just been praying, God, save my kids. And I've been standing on scripture. And there's a, a particular scripture that I've been just meditating on and going over and over and, and, and stuff like that. And 
I haven't been seeing anything happen. And honestly, I've been praying for my kids for years. Um, you know, and, uh, and so I was a little frustrated. And so last night I had this dream and in this dream, um, Amy and I had gone to this event and I don't even know what kind of event it was or anything like that. And had, it, it didn't show that at all in the dream or whatever, but is, is this wooded area really, really pretty and stuff. Um, but lots of turns and, and things like that, you know, the road and stuff like that. And, uh, to go to the event, you just had to find a place on the side of the road where there wasn't a car, right? And you had to park on the side of the road. So we parked on the side of the road. We found a, found a parking space finally on the side of the road. And then we went to the event. Um, after the event was over with, you know, it's, it's getting late afternoon and stuff. And, and so we're looking all over for the car, can't find it anywhere. All right. And so, um, so we're looking for and looking and looking for the car and can't find it. And so finally, uh, this, uh, I, I see this young, this young man and stuff and, and I ask him to help and he's like, sure, no problem. I'd be glad to help you. And, and he's, he, and he, you know, come to find out it's his parents' property and stuff. And, and so he, he knows all about the property, knows everything about it that you possibly need to know and stuff. And so he gets this golf cart, right? And so we start riding around in this golf cart and, I noticed that he's just taking his time. He, he you know, I'm like, you, you know, I, I'm like, point A to point B. You know, I'm missing my car. Do the, do the, do the project. You know, get the, accomplish the mission and stuff. But like, he's, he's just driving here and there. He stops at this house at one point, and, and we're, we're looking at his dog and we're petting his dog and stuff. He's, he's introducing me to his dog and, and to his sister and things like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is all great, but I still need my car. And it's getting darker by the minute. And, and you know, it's pretty soon it's pitch black and stuff. And so we get back in the gross, uh, get back in the golf cart, and we're still just driving around and stuff. And he starts telling me about this cave and stuff. He's like, man, you, there's this cave on the property you've got to see this cave this cave is so cool and stuff and and that's when I woke up and I'm like what was that about <laughs> and stuff and 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 I was in it it was one of those things I don't dream a lot right and so when I do dream I, sometimes I feel like it's kind of significant and and I really felt like this was significant and so I'm like so I just start praying about it and I'm, I'm, I'm going over and over in my mind, the dream and stuff. I'm like, God, what was that about? And I really felt like what he said to me was that young man was the Holy Spirit. And here I am. Um, huh? She said, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really, uh, so I'm praying that God will, will help me accomplish the mission right mm -hmm. he'll help me uh, find this uh, well you know get the kids saved or whatever and stuff in 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 the dream i had this mission get the car you know and stuff like that but but the young man i mean he he just wanted to hang out with me he he, he wanted to be my friend and just just show me cool places and just and just be with me and, he knew he would and the thing is 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 i knew that eventually we were going to get to the car right that was not an issue at all. He knew he knew how to find the car. We would find the car eventually, but he just wanted to hang out with me. You know, and, and God says, you know what? That's just like prayer. Because sometimes we're so concerned with and so consumed with, God, this is what I need. This is what I want. God, give me this. Give, can I have this? Can I have it now? And stuff like that. Rather than realizing that, Okay, that's your goal. That's your purpose. That's what you're doing. But God's thing is like, I just want to be with you. I just want to hang out with you and stuff. And so a lot of times the things that happen in our lives 
is that and and sometimes even the tough things is God trying. And that's one thing that I've noticed many times over my life. It's you know we all have hot spells, we have cold spells, and we have times when we're not seeking God like we have in the past and stuff. And like I've noticed in my life, a lot of times what happens is bad things start happening, right? And I'm like, well, what's going on here? And it and it causes me to get serious with God once again, right? And the thing is, is again, I think that like, you know, God just loves it sometimes when we just come and just say, you know what, I just want to spend some time with you. And so again, when we're coming and we're meditating on the word, don't rush through it, right? Take your time with it. Lord, what are you trying to speak to me through this word? When you talk about praying to the Holy Spirit, making it real, again, I have found the most meaningful times in my life, I've found the times when I felt his word come alive to me the most was when I would just say, you know what? I'm just going to set aside some time and I'm just going to be with God. And it's easy. We got we get caught up in television. We get caught up in our kids, our, our jobs, our activities, our hobbies and stuff. It's easy to get caught up in that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But you know what? It really blesses God when we're like, you know what? I'm just going to spend this time with you. And I'm going to take your word and I'm going to meditate on your word. And, you know, sure, I want to get something out of it. I want my kids to be saved. But at the same time, I want this word to become life in me. And I want to I want to be blessed by knowing that I'm in his presence and he's with me. And we're just mutually having this thing back and forth in this conversation. And I'm with a friend now. Mm-hmm. Right. Because too often we come to God and we want stuff rather than, you know, I just want to be with you. I just want to love on you. It's funny okay? too, like sometimes when God even like blesses situations where maybe we're being a bit of irritating ourselves. Like I, oh, sure. I, the other day, like I was, I wasn't feeling like reading the word or whatever and I didn't want to, but then I was like, oh, fine, I'll do it. I'll read Philippians and then I'll be done with it. But then something that I that has been on my heart and that's been really concerning me lately and something like that was like and I was I was rushing through it too. I was I was being as bad as I could be with it basically, but doing it when I, I didn't necessarily want to, which maybe is what God was blessing. But like what was really on my heart, what was really weighing on me, like like um like kind of just came alive in that and and and, and, and the scripture and was um, just right, right there on the page. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was, you know, it was good to see how it was God, God's kindness to me, even, you know, yeah. with what little tiny step I did, you know? Yeah. That's good. And, and that's the thing. And that's, again, where we truly come to know him. And it becomes, again, real to us is when we're just spending time with it. It's just like with any friend, right? If if you go hang out with a friend and you're all anxious to get through and get home and, and you know, and stuff. And it's like, okay, I'll spend 30 minutes with you, but I want to. That's not going to be fruitful, right? You make friendships with the people that you love being with. And God created our emotions, our feelings 
We're created in his image. We're created in his likeness. So, you know, we want to be with people. We want to spend time with people. That's when, when, when that's the case. And when both, when two people are like that, then that's when the friendship becomes meaningful and it, it becomes productive. And, and God stuff. wants to be with us as much as we want to be with him. Yeah. So. And in Psalm 27, verse one, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life, whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. So again, the psalmist is operating from the realm of faith. He's not like, oh, these bad things happened to me. Why is this happening to me? And stuff. He says, you know what? Even though a host, even though an entire army were to encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I will be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So again, to him, salvation and his relationship with God was not just this Sunday morning thing or not, you know, 15 minutes in the morning or whatever. It's all like he, it's like he wanted to spend time. And that's the whole thing, guys. That's the, the biggest problem I see with Christianity today in a lot of places that, is that it, it becomes this a religion, honestly, rather than I want to have this relationship with God. I want to know who he is. I want to spend And Believe me, I deal with this all the time, right? And it's like, I want to spend time with him. I want to know him. I want to, and, and church, church, church is just, how can I put this? Church is, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Church is not the end-all, be-all. Matter of fact, church can be sometimes just such a tiny, minutest. Church can be the least that you can do sometimes. Does that make sense? Church can be just the bare minimum. Well, I go to this building to meet with other people that are, you know, meeting God. Well, you know what? If you're not doing it on your own, then it's not real, right? Or it's not. It's not, it's not the way that it should be. It's not truly satisfying. It's not truly the way it's supposed to be. It's, it's, when, it's when we spend time with him alone, when we spend time worshiping him. And the thing is, is you don't have to pray, play a musical instrument. You don't even have to sing on tune. God loves the praises of his people. And he does not care whether you can sing on tune, whether you can't sing on tune, whether you can play the guitar, whether you can't play the guitar, whether you, you know the words to the song. I am married to a person who usually doesn't know the words to the song, but that doesn't stop her. She'll make up songs. And she'll just praise God and just you know make her own song and stuff. God loves that sort of thing because it's from the heart, right? And so we don't need... A, and church is good for what it is, but you and I, we don't need a pastor to lead us. We don't need a choir director to lead us. We don't need a worship leader to lead us. Now, all those things are good and they all have their place. And so I'm not saying that those things are bad, but first and foremost, I don't need any of those first and foremost. All I need is the Holy Spirit first and foremost. And all those other things are like icing on the cake or, you know, like add-ons right so in psalm 27 verse uh verse 4 again 
One thing I have asked from the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. That secret place is Jesus said, my peace, I will live to you. Not peace as the world gives, but I give you my peace. And so in the midst of no matter what storm we're in, no matter what trial we're in, no matter, it can be raining destruction on us. And yet we still be in the peace and in the presence of God. He says in verse 6, And now my head will be lifted above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Look at this in verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. You know, and, and that's the thing. It doesn't matter how bad your childhood was. It doesn't matter how hard your past was. You know, marriages, relationships, brothers, uh, psh, I know families where brothers and sisters don't even talk. They hate each other. Um, but it doesn't matter. And I, I'm not saying if you did something to do that, go and make it right. But other than that, God is with you and God loves you. And the love of God surpasses anything. And if we could come to that realization, and again, that comes by meditating on his word, by renewing our minds and thinking about ourselves the way that he thinks about us. About us. Again, like every time we do something stupid, what are we like? Oh, you stupid, you idiot. Why did you do that? We are thinking about ourselves like the world does. We are thinking about ourselves like Satan does rather than how God does, right? And so again, that's every why every time I do something stupid, Dean and I, I tell, I say I'm such an idiot. He, he scolds me, <laughs> and tells me to stop calling myself an idiot. Yeah, in Zechariah twelve, you don't have to turn there. In Zechariah two verse one, it says that we are the apple of God's eye. Mm. The apple is like imagine someone poking yourself, poking you in the eye and stuff. That's one of the most tenderest parts of your body. <laughs> And God says, you are the apple of my eye. You are so special to me that I protect you like I protect my eye. All right? And that's the thing. A lot of us as Christians, um, you know, we're like Lazarus. Remember the story of Lazarus, how, how Jesus called Lazarus from the grave? And it says that he came out of the grave. He was still bound in his grave clothes. And the thing is, is a lot of us as believers, when we, we get saved, we still got all this baggage. We still got all these grave clothes. Turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 13. And we still got all these things that are tying us, that are hindering us, that are keeping us from fulfilling what God has called us to be. Now, I don't like to talk a lot about destiny and purpose and stuff like that, because a lot of teaching that you hear on that is all about pride. God's going to make you this mighty man or this mighty woman and he's going to use you to save nations and it's all pride and stuff. But the simple fact of the matter is God does have plans for you. God has in his mind great things for you to do. And those things may not be great to anybody else. Yeah. 
They may not, like nobody may be able to look at those things and say, ooh, look at that person. That person's really doing great things. Some people may not ever know what you're doing for God, but in his mind, it's awesome. And in his mind, it's great because you are doing it for him. And in Hebrews 13, verse, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, and again, in Hebrews 11, we know all about the Hebrews 11. It's about, and it, you know, if you haven't read Hebrews 11 lately, read it. Because it's full of people who just did things for the God, for God, who just laid down their lives, who did all these awesome things. And so going straight from that into uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin. So we're not just laying aside our sins. We are laying aside our sins, but we're not just laying aside our sins. We're also laying aside encumbrances. It says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so again, an encumbrance encumbrance is anything that weighs you down, right? Uh, Think of it like... And again, a lot of times in the Bible, you, you see where it talks about how they would gird up their loins whenever they would have to run or fight or something like that. Well, essentially, if you're wearing a dress, you have to tie it up or you kind of have to hike it up a little bit if you're going to be able to fight or you're going to be able to run, right? So essentially, the tunics that they wore, they had to gird them up and able to run or to fight or anything like that. So basically, again, an encumbrance is anything that ties you down for being what God wants you to be. Go ahead. I just want to say that what really ministers to me in that scripture, it's talking about laying aside the encumbrances and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It takes, you know, if you've ever ran before, you've like done a five 5K or something like that, it takes a lot of physical endurance just to get through that. And then he says... Um, So when you're running in a race, you're fixing your eyes on the finish line, right? It says fixing our eyes on Jesus, not our, not our problems, not our, not our hardships, none of those things. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, not the waves, the author, which means the beginner and the perfecter of faith. Lord, he started it and he's also going to finish it. The author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So even Jesus wasn't looking at the cross. He wasn't focused on the pain of the cross. He was focused on the joy he was going to receive at the end of that. And so he he despised the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so it's we, we are to follow in his footsteps. And Jesus fixed his eyes on the Father. He fixed his eyes on the joy of winning our hearts to him and reconciling man to God. And he focused on what what would be, not what he was currently going through. Otherwise, how could he have even endured the cross? And so sometimes we have to bear our cross and sometimes we have to fight sin and sometimes we have to fight discouragement. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus and we keep our eyes on the joy, the reward, because we will have a reward. Paul said there's a crown of life laid up for us, right? And if you're looking at verse 3 to it, just goes with what you're saying. For consider he who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hmm. He also endured. 
you know, he, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't get get a get easy street when right. he was here. That's a good <laughs> point, Daniel. That's a really good point. And, and that's the thing too about this chapter is like, first of all, it starts looking at the cloud of witnesses, all the people that were in uh, Hebrews eleven, and then it points to Jesus, and they pointed at all of these, the writer of Hebrews, as examples for us. And in the same way, again, God wants to do something so powerful in our lives that at some point someone's going to be able to look at our lives and say, that person, look at that person, run like that person, right? And and we want to be the people that people are able to look at our lives and say, and not that they want to imitate us, but Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so hopefully there's something in our lives, something in my life, something in, you know, all of our lives that, that people will look at and say, you know what? I can tell that Jesus is in that man or Jesus is in that woman by the way that they react to circumstances and stuff. Uh, turn to Psalm 139. We'll, we'll end with this. In Psalm 139, verse 1. And again, think of this to your in, in your own circumstances. And think of this as, you know, David wrote this, but God feels this same way about you, right? In Psalm 139, verse 1, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Now, when you read that, to me, I don't see like a God that, that planned everything that, that I was going to do or ever will do and just kind of makes me like a puppet and stuff like that and, and has everything planned out. I see as I see it's like when a father watches his child. Right. When a father rides, watches his child ride a bike for the first time or when a father watches his child just do something, draw a really cool painting or or any time, you know, a, a, a parent watches a child do something awesome. This is what God is doing with us. He's watching our lives and he's watching us. Right. Like, again, like with people that you really know, you know how they're going to act because you know them. Right. He says, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea... Even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Imagine that. Now, as a kid, I was deathly afraid of the dark. I hated the dark. I hated, you know, I was always looking under my bed to make sure nothing was there. And, and like when I was a kid, I had really, really bad eyesight. Um, I had cataract surgery about two years ago, so they did LASIK surgery on me and stuff. But as a kid, I definitely had the Coke bottle glasses and stuff, and I couldn't see anything. And so if there's a coat hanging on a coat rack, I thought there's somebody in my room about to attack me, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I couldn't see anything, and I was afraid of the dark and stuff. But it says even in the dark, no matter how dark it is, 
God is there and his presence is there. And if his presence is there, it makes the night as bright as the day. Right? If Jesus is with me, you know, it's like they say, even though I walk through the valley as the shadow of death, I will not fear for he is the baddest thing in the valley. And if Jesus is with me, it doesn't matter what else is in the valley. It doesn't matter if there's a boogeyman under my bed or something hiding in my closet because he is greater than all of that. All right. It says, um, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I, you Every one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're not a mistake, right? None of us are a mistake. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God took his time when he made you. He made you special. And that's why we're never to look down on ourselves or to say, I'm stupid or I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm an idiot or I'm, everything that I do fails. You have potential because of what he has created you. He has made you, he has fearfully and wonderfully made you. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. And again, this is poetic language. It says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Look at this. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. We have no concept of how often God's thoughts are towards us. Uh, again, I remember when, when our kids were little and, and they would lay in the cradle and stuff and we'd go in there and we'd just stare at them when they're sleeping and they'd be sucking on their thumb and their little lips would be, you know, sucking on their thumbs and stuff. And that's the most precious sight in the world and stuff. How much more does God look at us? And he just, he just loves us and his heart is filled with pride and his heart is filled with joy that we're his son, that we're his daughter, Right? That's something that I think that, I mean, we kind of passed by it a little while ago, but like, you know, like, you know what I'm going to say before I say it, that whatever, I'm paraphrasing, whatever that verse was. Um, It's like, yes, literally God does know, but that's not what it's communicating. It's communicating his intimacy. Like when you know someone well enough, like sometimes, yeah, you know what they're going to say, but it's only when you know somebody intimately, when you know somebody well, when you've been with them, when you see them. And then even still, that doesn't mean you know everything they're going to say immediately, but it's about God's, but even though factually, yes, it's true, God knows what we're going to say, but more important, what it's trying to communicate more importantly in this context is is that God is intimate with us and knows us and knows, and, and in that way knows what we're going to say. Yeah. It's the same concept of, of two people finishing each other's sentences, right? When you're having a conversation and you're finishing what they were going to say, you know, because you know them intimately. And you, it's kind of funny when you watch people that, that really know each other. It's, it's like, okay, so we, I was born, brought up in Texas and stuff. I think you, it's obvious by the way I talk and stuff like that. If I go, like we've lived, we've lived in Hawaii, we've also lived in Colorado, we've lived in Utah and stuff like that. So we've lived up north and stuff. And 
when when you live in places like that, your your accent changes a little bit, right? And it's not like it was, but so, but but then you come back here, and then all of a sudden you're you're saying you're talking the same way that you were before and stuff, and so it's just it's funny, and I know a lot of people who 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 have been friends with someone long enough and they start talking about the, their friend and all of a sudden they're, 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 like they sound just like their friend, right? Or they're, and they're saying things the same exact way that their friend would say it, right? And so again, it's just that same idea is that you just know me so well that you're completing my sentences, you're talking like me and all that kind of stuff. Um, so let's finish up verse 17 again. He says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You see that? And, and that's the thing. What is your concept of God? Do you do you look at God as this... this and, and God is angry with the wicked, the Bible says. And God does not tolerate sin. He doesn't wink at it. He doesn't overlook it and stuff like that. But when you're walking with Him and you are doing the things to please Him and, and you're, you're, trying, to you're trying to overcome things... How, how, how do you view him? Do you view him as a father that can't be pleased, as someone that no matter how hard you try, it's always going to be wrong? Um, I mean, we, we've all had people in our lives like that. You know, it doesn't matter how hard you try, no matter how, how good you, you are and stuff, there's always going to be a deficiency, always a weakness. God sees the best about us, right? And he, again, God, when we, when we become Christians, he loves us too much to leave us in the way that we used to be. And so he, he does try to, try to make us a better, the best version of what we could possibly be. But at the same time, he knows that we're frail. He knows that we're only dust. He knows that <clears throat> the Bible says he knows our weaknesses. He knows that we're only dust and stuff, and he's patient with us. Um, I think it is overused, but I think it's also true in that when we come to God, he already knows the future, right? He knows that you're going to blow it. He knows that you're going to be sometimes a pretty rotten person, even as a believer, but yet he still saves you. He still forgives you, and he still washes you. And so, again... Uh, you know, we just, we need to renew our minds. We need to, we need to implant the word in our hearts and in our minds and wash our minds, renew our minds and begin to believe what he says about us. Not what the world says about us. Not what I say about myself. Not what Satan says about me. It doesn't matter. What does God say about me? Amen. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would Fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray that these would be more than just words to us, Lord God. And uh, Father, I ask that you would heal our brokenness, yes. that you would heal our wounds from our past. Yes. Lord, everything, all the waste places, all the places where Satan is sought to steal, kill, and destroy. Yes. Father, all the places where people misjudged us, all the places where people hated us for no cause, all the places where people abandoned us. I pray, Lord God, that you would renew those places, Lord God, and that you would restore those. Yes, In Jesus' name, amen. Does anybody have a story they want to share along those lines?